0: This Lenten season is historically in the church a time for repentance, that is to say, to get out of our lives that which stands in between us and God, or that which would replace God in our lives, however, as I said to you last week, we can't focus on the negatives and expect to make sustained progress. The focus isn't on the sin, the focus is on God. That's why we have usually a Lenten study that's focused on God. And so Lent is not just for repentance, it's for refocus. Now let me tell you something interesting. This sounds like a paradox and it probably is. There are times when you're refocused, means you don't get narrower, you get broader in your focus. And let me tell you why that is. Because God wants you to see him everywhere, everywhere. Because God is everywhere. And therefore, those that are spiritually mature don't say, I've got to become a Biblical scholar before I truly understand God. Those who are spiritually mature. Well, let me, let me go through some scriptures with you. Let's, let's start out with first John, or John chapter one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. And listen to this. All things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being." Where is God in creation? In everything. Let me, let me read this to you. The next scripture is, uh, comes from Colossians. And it says, "'For it was the Father's good pleasure "'for all of the fullness to dwell in him.'" Talking about Christ through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Now, let me tell you a point at which we usually fall down in our spiritual growth. We, this is the great word, bifurcate. We bifurcate things of the world and things in heaven. Scripture doesn't. Scripture unites them. Scripture says they are complementary. They add to they complement one another. They add to one another. They complete each other. And so it says It says to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, as the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed what listen to these words in all creation under heaven. Does that sound like to you that we ought to just concentrate on heaven and forget about earth? Not if you want to see God. If you want to see God, you got to see him in the things of the earth. I, I heard a story once about a little boy who, uh, he, you know, kids are concrete. Kids don't get, they don't do abstract thinking. I mean, Piaget, Jean Piaget, one of the great uh, uh, child development uh, psych- scientists, said, most kids aren't even capable of abstract thinking until like 11 or 12 years old. So they got to have things in concrete. And so teaching a kid about God gets a little tricky sometimes. And so there was this one little boy and and he was frustrated that God was invisible. What's that about? So he went to his sister and he said, you mean to tell me I'll never be able to see God? And his sister says, well, yeah, you can, but, but I'll tell you, God lives in heaven far away, and someday when you die and you go to heaven, you'll see God. Well, that didn't really satisfy him because kids don't have a great deal of patience. So later on, he went to his mother, and he said, mama, I, I, I got a question for you. I got this. Invisible God, what? You mean to tell me I'll never see God? And his mother said, well, you know, not in this life. You know, God is a spirit and he lives inside of you. And, and, and sometimes you feel him and sometimes you sense him, but you can never see him. Well, that frustrated him. But he kind of forgot it. You know, kids, short-term attention span, as with many of us adults. Weeks later, he was fishing with his grandfather. They're out on a little rowboat, and they're out in the middle of this lake, and it's just a gorgeous day. And the sunset was coming, and it was beginning to set over the horizon, and you know, just beautiful colors of orange and yellow and red. And his grandfather, who had always walked with the Lord, had this deep appreciation for creation, just pulled in his rod and laid it in the boat and just looked at that sunset. And then something made him look at his grandson, and his eyes kind of welled up with tears. Something in that look reminded his grandson of his question. Grandpa, is it true that we will never see God in this life? And his grandfather answered him gently. My boy, I've come to a place in my life where I can see almost nothing else God wants you to come to a place in your life where you can see almost nothing else, where you can see him in everything, every living thing, every circumstance, because that is how you will draw near to God. That's how you will focus on God. We go through this life just mainly trying to solve problems, and so our focus are always on our problems. But yet, there is a kind of faith that, in the midst of our problems, can still see God you remember you remember the the, um, the the second king 's passage, where elisha and his servant his servant is just unnerved, okay, full winkers are on the way out. You can take that down now, put up second kings, will you um, <clears throat> there you go elisha 's servant is unnerved because he gets up and they 're surrounded by the enemy they 're surrounded by the enemy, and that 's all he can focus on i mean I mean think of. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but right now you get up every day and basically what you see are the challenges facing you. You see your problems. You think of the pain that you have to go through that day. You're you're carrying that around with you. You see people who are out for you and that is your focus. This is with a lot of us and this is what... Elisha prayed and said, "O Lord, I pray. By the way, this is one of the greatest prayers you can pray for yourself or anybody else. Open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw, behold, the mountain was full of the horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Let me tell you something important. You have real enemies surrounding you. You have real pain in your life. You have real problems that are addressing you. But that which surrounds you is surrounded by God. He not only has your back, he has your front. So you, you, That's what you need to be able to see. That's what all of us need to be able to see. And we do that if we determined that's what we'll look for. There is a, um, a, a dimension, a, f- a phenomenon called reticulous activating system, our, our reticulous activating system. We, we all have it, we all have it. And let me tell you basically what that is in, 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 in English. It means that we see what we're prepared to see. It's, it's, it's literally a physical, it's a network of nerves but the network of nerves has been alerted to a certain phenomenon. As, as, as soon as I describe this, you're all gonna recognize it because you all do this. Mostly, we go through life not noticing things until we have been drawn in a particular way to their attention. i me give you an example. Long time ago, I had a yellow Jeep. Some of you remember my yellow Jeep. It was awesome, a Jeep Islander. And I can still remember walking around the lot and I go, oh man, yellow, but the boys go, yo, get the Jeep, dad. So got the Jeep. I thought this is truly unique. Nobody I know, and I don't think I've ever seen anybody driving a yellow Jeep. I drove off the lot. Guess what I began to see? Everywhere. There were yellow Jeeps all over the place. I thought, did they just manufacture a bunch of yellow Jeeps and put them on the road? No. My, I had that ridiculous activating system. Activated. Because now I was noticing yellow Jeeps. They had been there all along. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of you, some of you uh, named your kids, you know, something that was a little odd when they were born. Some of you named your kids like Noah or Ava. You know, the the names weren't popular when you're born. They're on the top 10 list now. You wouldn't even notice it, except you're prepared to see it now. You're prepared. The, The point is this God is everywhere. He wants us to see Him everywhere. Because no matter what problem you have, no matter what circumstance you're in, God's surrounding it. And we need to open our eyes. Remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, if, if you have an evil eye, if you have, the, the Greek word is poneros, and it means narrow. If you, if you give a narrow look, if you only focus on a little bit, your body's full of darkness. If you have a generous eye, some versions call it healthy. The, the Greek word is haplos. And it means wide open. You're able to take it all in. You are full of light. And so I wanna talk to you just for the next few minutes about the God and creator of creation who is still, still resident in creation that you could see every day and you would be encouraged in your faith and you would grow in your faith. And that's exactly what he wants you to do. This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. In Romans chapter one, verse 19 and 20, it says, because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. Wait a minute. The word evident in them, the the Greek preposition is in, And it means both you have the capability within you to see God all around you. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. You have that capability of God. It is in you, but watch this. It is also among you. If you're a believer and you hang around other believers, you'll probably see more of God because you'll begin to see God where they see God. And so all of us have this capability. Let's go to verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen. Now, this word doesn't mean just seen with the eye. It's, the Greek word means perceived. You, 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 you get it. It hit home. It has been clearly perceived, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Let me give you another verse. This verse is Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible. Visible and invisible, heavens and earth. Are those divided in the, in the scripture? No, they're united in the scripture. Are those bifurcated? No, they're furcated. No, I don't. They're, they're, they're together. All right. That's, that's, this is the word of God. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, that's in the spiritual realm, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold what? Together. That's right. So our spiritual sight must not just look to spiritual things. They must look to physical things that have spiritual implications. We must not narrow our sight. We must not narrow our worship of God because God is all around us. We just sang, I stand with all creation giving praise to the King of Kings. We just sang that with all creation. Let me give an illustration of what we do. I heard a story one time about the devil and one of his little demons were walking down a road. And on ahead was this guy, and they were just kind of keeping their eye on him, you know. And, 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 and he picked down, the guy on ahead bent down and picked up something, and you could see that he was so happy that he picked it up. And the demon looked at the devil and he said, What did he just pick up? And the devil said he picked up a part of the truth. And the demon was aghast. He said, doesn't it bother you that he has part of the truth? And the devil said, oh, no. I'll see to it that he makes a religion out of it. Let me tell you what we do. We take a part of the truth and we make a religion out of that thing. Next week, I hope you come back. I'm gonna be talking about how Christianity, no, about Christ is different from all religions. How he is unique among all religions. I'm not gonna trash any religion. We don't need to. You know, all of them have a part of the truth. The problem is that people take that part and if it's a religion or it's science or it's anything else, you try to deify that part instead of making it a way to God. Even Christianity, we even make a religion out of our approach to Christianity. And in doing that, see how subtle the devil is? The devil is so subtle. If he can get us to worship anything less than God face to face, guess what? He's won. Do you remember where it says in First Corinthians thirteen twelve? For now I know in part, But then I will know fully. I look through a glass darkly. Then I will see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I will know fully. Even as I have been fully known. Do you really think you have to die to do that? You have to die to perfect it. But you don't have to die to see God everywhere. Now, all of this leads to this point. Somehow... In the last couple of decades, somebody has cooked up a false war between science and faith. It is an absolute lie from the pit. There was never this kind of ultimatum. Either you believe in science or you believe in God. There was never this kind of ultimatum. Either you, you understand what science says is true or you understand what the Bible says is true. There's never been this kind of what I call dastardly, dastardly dichotomy. But somehow we're promoting this these days partly because of very angry people who want to push you into some sort of ultimatum. Science versus religion? Are you kidding me? Science is simply the study of creation. It's the study of what God's done. It's the study of how God does it. There's never been a war here before, but somehow we've got a few angry scientists, a a few militant atheists, and this is what happens. They tell us, and you know these names, Hitchens and Dawkins, and and in some case, if he's pinned down, Stephen Hawking. You know these names. And they push forth a false ultimatum and a false conflict. Let me tell you something really, really seriously. If there seems, and I say seems, to be some sort of disagreement between science and the Bible, then either we have not, we have not interpreted the Bible correctly, or science needs to catch up. Because the God who made this world, nature, is the same God who inspired the writing of scriptures. He does not speak with a forked tongue. He says the same thing, and his attributes are revealed in creation, and the people who are trying to get us to fight, we just don't need to buy into it. I listen to John Lennox a lot. John is a brilliant mathematics professor, and he teaches in the same place that Stephen Hawking does. And 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 Stephen Hawking once the, the journalist came to him and tried to pin him. He said, "What do you think of religion?" And Hawking says, "Religion is a." fantasy for people who are afraid of the dark. I'm sorry, fairy tale. Religion is a fairy tale for people who are afraid of the dark. Well, they went immediately to Lennox and they said, your colleague Hawking just said religion, and they knew Lennox is a, is a, is a Christian. He said, your, your, your colleague Hawking just said religion is a fairy tale for people who are afraid of the dark. What do you say to that? And Lennox just smiled and said, Well, I always thought atheism was a fairy tale for people who are afraid of the light. <laughs> Doesn't it say that in scripture? For men love the darkness rather than light. The, the point is this you, you see what you're prepared to see. And Jesus never separated the two. Do you know, you go back over Jesus' teaching. What did he use for his teaching? Nature, normal relationships. A man went out to sow, and his seed fell on different kinds of ground. He would use nature to teach about different kinds of spiritual growth. Look at the lilies of the field. Notice the birds of the air. The kingdom of God is like a net dropped that gathers up all kinds of fish. He used normal life, ordinary life, our messed up lives to teach about the depth of the spiritual grace of God. There was brought to him a woman who was caught in adultery. There set a man up who went up on the road to Jericho, who fell among thieves and robbers. He taught in terms of sibling rivalry. There were two sisters who were were arguing over whose turn it was to help. Do you understand? This is all about our lives, our normal lives. But some of your kids are going to universities now and they're being taught by professors that say, that professors that don't understand scripture, they're being taught you've got to make a choice. No, God's already made the choice, and the choice is both. I will reveal myself through both. In the history of scientific research, the majority of scientific research has always been propelled and motivated by believers who were trying to discover how God works. And so therefore, here's what we have to do. We have to reclaim this ground, and we have to see God, wherever He really is. And He is seen in all of His creation. And if there seems to be some sort of disagreement, God will resolve that disagreement. Now let me give you just a few a a few places where you can, where you can go just to be encouraged. There's I always wanna give you a a tool that you can use for yourself. Um, First of all, um, there's a website called God Evidence, Evidence, uh, GodEvidence.com. It's a one, just browse through it. You'll get, you'll, you'll just get encouraged. Now, notice this doesn't say God proof. You cannot prove God. Because if you could prove God, you wouldn't need faith. And God wants us to have faith in him. And so therefore, this is evidence. There's, there's at least much, as much reason to believe in God as there is not to believe in God, way more reason. And I'm going to give you a few quotes. There's a, there's a spot on that site, um, um, quotes about God. And, and just a piece of that site says this. And Let me just give you a few, just to, to, so you know what we're talking about here. Louis Pasteur said, a little science takes you away from God. You, you, have you ever heard the phrase, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing? And that's what, that's what, you know, these freshmen that are going into these, these biology, now i got, I've always loved science. I've got to confess it. I'm married to a microbiologist. All right. So I've got kind of have a tilt in this. But my favorite coach in high school was a biology teacher. I love science. I've always loved science. I read science to this day. I'm so involved. I love it. And it just encourages me in my faith. A little science takes you away from God, but more of it takes you to him. Let me do, let me do this. Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein is quoted for everything. <laughs> but, but you know, Einstein had God after God quoted. Now, to be precise Einstein was not the believer in a personal God like we understand a personal God but he understood that there was something more basically the world is divided between materialists and people who believe there's something more than the material world scientists are in both camps and Einstein was not a materialist he was he believed that there was something more than the material world And so this brilliant man who once likened believing to a child entering a gargantuan library and not being able to comprehend it, but noticing that there was some order. One of his quotes is, God does not play dice with the universe. Noticing that there was some order theorized that there must be an organizer. And so this is what he said, the more I study science, the more I believe in God. Now I want you to see where that quote came from. The Wall Street Journal, 1997, an article by Jim Holt, science resurrects God. There's no choice that is needed, except the choice to understand more of how God made the world and let that be a part of how he builds your faith and how he builds your worship. Give me the next one. This is a guy I know, and he's, he's a, another brilliant man. And, and he says this, just as I believe that the book of scripture illuminates the pathway to God, so I believe that the book of nature. Now see, now, now I want you to understand this. There are two sets of revelation to the same God. He made two ways to get to know him. One was specific revelation. Revelation means God revealing himself. Specific revelation that he wrote in the written Word of God, general revelation that he wrote into all creation. Nature is the way he reveals himself. And so it says the book of nature with its astonishing details, the blade of grass, the the conus, Conus a cone of is a, 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 a sea uh, snail that has a, a shell like a cone. Or the resonance level of the carbon atom also suggest a God of purpose and a God of design. And I think my belief makes me no less a scientist. Now, this is Owen Giggrich, and as I said, I know this guy, and, 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 and it says that he is now the senior astronomer at the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory. Before that, he was at Harvard University as the chief researcher, and watch this, the professor of the history of science. So if any believer ought to know how these two are united, this guy would. Let me give you one more. I could, I could do this all day, but let me give you one more. This is from a very good friend of mine, um, and, and, and he was, his name is Francis Collins. He's an evangelical Christian. Uh, he was an atheist. He grew, he, he grew up, and, 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 and when he was going through his medical uh, um, um, residency, one of his patients, he, he said, I, 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 "This this go just a couple minutes longer because you've got to hear this story. I didn't tell it to all the other story, but you've got to hear it. This, this old lady was, was dying and, and he, he went in and he just felt so, so, he's, such, he's such a man of compassion. And generally speaking, he said, how are you? She said, I'm great. And he said, how could you be great? And he said, and she said, I know where I'm going. And then she looked at him and said, do you? That had such a profound effect on him he began to study the scripture. He became a born-again believer. And, and then became the head of the Human Genome Project. The head of the Human Genome Project. You know how brilliant you have to be to do this? And after he finished that, now he is the head of the NIH, the, uh, the, the National Institutes of Health, which is the largest funder and organizer of scientific research in the world. And this is what he says. I helped him, I helped him, I was one of the pastors that kind of helped him found this organization, Biologus, because because we were, we were afraid for those believing students who went to college and 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 thought that they had, to, they had to choose between science and their faith. And so this is what it says. I have found, this is what he says, I have found a wonderful harmony in the complementarity truths of science and faith. The God of the Bible is also the God of the genome. God can be found in the cathedral or in the laboratory. By investigating God's majestic and awesome creation, science can actually be a means of worship. That's what God wants for us. That's what God wants for all of us. And so let this season be a time when we not only begin to see God everywhere, but we become understand, we're surrounded by people who want to see God. We're sura- John 12, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 20 says this. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. Greeks, uh, that's, that's to, so to say, that they weren't normally the, the, the orthodox religious people. They weren't Jews, in other words. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee and began to ask him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Do you know there are people around you who wanna see Jesus, they just can't. They just can't. But the more you see him, the more they'll be able to as you talk with them. But it's gotta be in normal conversations. You're not gonna usher everybody into a cathedral to hear from a preacher. You're the preacher. How are they to hear without a preacher? Let me tell you one more story. And then, and then we got an announcement for you're going to love. You're going to love. We've been waiting all week to tell you this. <coughs> pastor um, had to fly someplace and, and, and uh, but he didn't want to do the pastor. You know, when pastors out in public, they always get a lot of questions. And, and, and those of us who are pastors love it because we get to talk about God again. But every once in a while you get so exhausted you just can't answer another question. So he didn't want to be spotted as a pastor. So he put on a t-shirt and and blue jeans and flip flops and just got on a plane. Well, the, the guy who came to sit down beside him had a three piece suit on, Wall Street Journal under his arm, you know, just kind of a happy looking guy and the pastor didn't want to be antisocial. So he said, well, what do you do? And the guy said, oh, he said, I manage a business that is, that shapes women's bodies, but shapes ultimately their images. Because when you shape their body, they change their mind about themselves. And it's a wonderful business. He said, we're growing like crazy and, and, and women are getting confidence and, 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 and so on and so forth. And, and so it's, it's just great. It just went on and on and on and on, on, you know? And finally, it kind of struck him that he had done all the talking. So he looked at the pastor and he said, who do you work for? And the pastor said, well, we don't, we don't like to talk about our company. Um, but but, we, but we, um, um, we're kind of in the mindset reshaping business. You know, we teach people to think differently. He said, oh, that's very interesting. He said, do you have local offices? <laughs> pastor said, yeah, we, as a matter of fact, we've got them all over the state. Well, Wait a minute, we've, we've got them in every state in the nation. The guy said, you're kidding. He said, no, he said, matter of fact, the management has determined that before the end of the business era, we are to put an office in every little burg all over the world. The guy said, fascinating, management. I'm in management, tell me about management. The pastor said, well, it's a father-son organization. Father-son. <laughs> <laughs> said, you know, they run everything and, and, and it's great. He said, is it profitable? The pastor said, yeah, but, but mostly it's just kind of getting resources to people that need it when they need it. And, and, and the man said, well, what's it like to work there? He said, oh, it's so great. He said, the father and the son love each other so much. And he said, it just kind of filters down into the people who work for the company and, and, and are involved with the company. And, and he said, I, I, I'm telling you, I know people at work who would lay down their life for me. The guy said, you gotta be kidding. He said, no, I'm serious. The guy said, well, what's the pay like? He said, well, the pay's okay, but, but mostly the benefits package is incredible. <laughs> He said, the insurance, we never have to worry about life or fire. <laughs> he said, the housing, allow-. he said, right now, they're building a mansion for me. <laughs> that's gonna be ready when I'm ready to move into it. The guy said, this is unbelievable. He said, I know every business on Dun & Brad Street. He said, how could there be a business this big and this good, and i not here about it? And the pastor said, I don't know. We've been around for 2,000 years. The guy said, wait a minute. He said, you're talking about the church, aren't you? The pastor said, yeah. The guy said, I'm Jewish. The pastor said, so, want to sign up? Here's the point. God isn't otherworldly. God fits into your everyday conversation. And you got to be able to see him in everyday terms or you'll miss noticing the very God who wants to live every day with you. Pray with me. God, thank you for this word. Apply it to our minds that we might not grow... Shallow into our hearts that we might not grow cold and to our eyes that we might see you wherever we look in Jesus name. Amen.